In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Grant us peace, O Lord, in our days, for there is no other who will fight for us, save but you, our God. The following is a reading from St. Louis-Marie de Montfort's The True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin. It was in the year 1846 or 1847 at St. Wilfrid's that I first studied the life and spirit of the Venerable Grignan de Montfort. And now, after more than 15 years, it may be allowable to say that those who take him for their master will hardly be able to name a saint or ascetical writer to whose grace and spirit their mind will be more subject than to his. We may not yet call him saint, but the process of his beatification is so far and so favorably advanced that we may not have long to wait before he will be raised upon the altars of the church. There are few men in the 18th century who have more strongly upon them the marks of the man of providence than this Elias, like missionary of the Holy Ghost and of Mary. His entire life was such an exhibition of the holy folly of the cross that his biographers unite in always classing him with St. Simon Salo and St. Philip Neri. Clement XI made him a missionary apostolic in France in order that he might spend his life in fighting against Jansenism so far as it affected the salvation of souls. Since the apostolical epistles, it would be hard to find words that burn so marvelously as the twelve pages of his prayer for the missionaries of the Holy Ghost, to which I earnestly refer all those who find it hard to keep up under their numberless trials the first fires of the love of souls. He was at once persecuted and venerated everywhere. His amount of work, like that of St. Anthony of Padua, is incredible and indeed inexplicable. He wrote some spiritual treatises, which have already been a remarkable influence on the Church during the few years they have been known, and bid fair to have much a wider influence in years to come. His preaching, his writing, and his conversation were all impregnated with prophecy and with anticipations of the later ages of the Church. He comes forward like another St. Vincent Ferrer, as if on the days bordering on the Last Judgment, and proclaims that he brings an authentic message from God about the great honor and wider knowledge and more prominent love of his Blessed Mother and her connection with the second advent of her son. He founded two religious congregations, one of men and one of women, which had been quite extraordinarily successful, and yet he died at the age of 43 in 1716, after only 16 years of priesthood. It was on the 12th of May, 1853, that the decree was pronounced at Rome, declaring his writing to be exempt from all error, which could be a bar to his canonization. In this very treatise on the venerable devotion of our Blessed Lady, he has recorded this prophecy, quote, I clearly foresee the ra- that raging brutes will come in fury to tear with their diabolical teeth this little writing in him whom the Holy Ghost has made use of to write it, or at least to envelop it in silence of a coffer, in order that it may not appear. Nevertheless, he prophesies both its appearance and its success. All this was fulfilled to the letter. The author died in 1716, and the treatise was found by accident by one of the priests of his congregation at St. Laurent sur Sever in 1842. The existing superior was able to attest the handwriting as being that of the venerable founder, and the autograph was sent to Rome to be examined in the process of canonization. 
All those who are likely to read this book love God and lament that they do not love him more. All desire something for his glory, the spread of some good work, the success of some devotion, the coming of some good time. One man has been striving for years to overcome a particular fault and has not succeeded. Another mourns and almost wonders while he mourns that so few of his relations and friends have been converted to the faith. One grieves that he has not devotion enough. Another that he has a cross to carry, which is a peculiarly impossible cross to him. While a third has domestic troubles and family unhappiness, which feel almost incompatible with his salvation. And for all these things, prayer appears to bring so little remedy. But what is the remedy that is wanted? What is the remedy indicated by God himself? If we may rely on the disclosures of the saints, it is an immense increase of devotion to our Blessed Lady. But remember, nothing short of an immense one. Here in England, Mary is not half enough preached. Devotion to her is low and thin and poor. It is frightened out of its wits by the sneers of heresy. It is always invoking human respect and carnal prudence, wishing to make Mary so little of a Mary that Protestants may, may feel at ease about her. Its ignorance of theology makes it unsubstantial and unworthy. It is not the prominent characteristic of our religion, which it ought to be. It has no faith in itself. Hence, it is that Jesus is not loved, that heretics are not converted, that the church is not exalted, that souls which might be saints wither and dwindle, that the sacraments are not rightly frequented, or souls enthusiastically evangelized. Jesus is obscured because Mary is kept in the background. Thousands of souls perish because Mary is withheld from them. It is the miserable, unworthy shadow which we call our devotion to the Blessed Virgin that is the cause of all these wants and blights, these evils and omissions and declines. Yet, if we are to believe the revelations of the saints, God is pressing for a greater, a wider, a stronger, quite another devotion to his blessed mother. I cannot think of a higher work, of a broader vocation for anyone, than the simple spreading of this peculiar devotion of the venerable Grignan de Montfort. Let a man but try it for himself, and his surprise at the graces it brings with it, and the transformation it causes in his soul will soon convince him of its otherwise almost incredible efficacy as a means for the salvation of men and for the coming of the kingdom of Christ. Oh, if Mary were but known, there would be no coldness to Jesus then. Oh, if Mary were but known, how much more wonderful would be our faith and how different would our communions be. Oh, if Mary were but known, how much happier, how much holier, how much less worldly should we be and how much more should we be living images of our sole Lord and Savior, her dearest and most blessed Son. I have translated the whole treatise myself, and have taken great pains with it, and have been scrupulously faithful. At the same time, I would venture to warn the reader that one perusal will be very far from making him master of it. If I may dare to say so, there is a growing feeling of something inspired and supernatural about it as we go on studying it, and with that we cannot help experiencing, after repeated readings of it, that its novelty never seems to wear off, nor its fullness to be diminished, nor the fresh fragrance and sensible fire of its unction ever to abate. May the Holy Ghost, the divine zealot of Jesus and Mary, deign to give a new blessing to this work in England, and may he please to console us quickly with the canonization of this new apostle and fiery missionary of his most dear and most immaculate spouse, 
and still more with the speedy coming of the great age of the church, which is to be the age of Mary. F. W. Faber, Priest of the Oratory, Presentation of Our Blessed Lady, 1862. Introduction It is through the most blessed Virgin Mary that Jesus Christ came into the world, and it is through her that he must reign in the world. Mary was the most hidden during her life for this reason. She is called by the Holy Ghost in the church Alma Mater, Mother Hidden in Secret. So profound was her humility that her strongest and most constant inclination on earth was to remain hidden from herself and from all creatures in order to be known to God alone. In answer to the prayers which she made to be hidden, poor, and humble, God was pleased to conceal her from nearly every other human creature in her conception, in her birth, in her life, in her mysteries, in her resurrection, and assumption. Her own parents did not know her, and often the angels would ask one another, Quae est ista? Who is she? Because the Most High had hidden her from them, or, if he did reveal to them anything about her, he concealed infinitely more. God the Father permitted that she should work no miracles during her life, at least no public ones, although he had given her the power to do so. God the Son permitted that she should hardly ever speak, although he had communicated to her his wisdom. God the Holy Ghost, although she was his faithful spouse, permitted that his apostles and evangelists should say but very little about her, and then only in as much as was necessary to make known Jesus Christ. Mary is the all-excelling masterpiece of the Most High, the knowledge and possession of which he has reserved for himself. Mary is the admirable mother of the Son, who was pleased to humble and conceal her during her life in order to foster her humility, calling her by the name of Woman, Mulier, as though she were a stranger, yet in his heart, he esteemed and loved her above all angels and men. Mary is the faithful spouse of the Holy Ghost and the sealed fountain to which he alone has access. Mary is the sanctuary and the resting place of the Blessed Trinity where God dwells more gloriously and more divinely than in any other place in the universe, not accepting his dwelling place above the cherubim and seraphim. Nor without great privilege is it granted to any creature no matter how pure to enter there. I declare with the saints, the divine Mary is the earthly paradise of the new Adam, wherein he became man by the power of the Holy Ghost, there to work incomprehensible wonders. Cardinal Vaughan notes, This is not the usual way of speaking of Mary, but the word divine may be used without attributing the nature of divinity to the person or thing thus qualified. We speak of our prayers, whether addressed to God or to the saints, as a divine service. Mary may be called divine because divinely chosen for the divine office of the mother of the divinity. She who was so closely associated with the divinity and overshadowed by it may be spoken of as divine. St. Thomas says, Mary, by the fact that she is the mother of God, has an infinite dignity. Kajitan in his commentary of St. Thomas says, Mary touches the confines of the divinity 
inasmuch as by her proper operation she begot God and nourished him at her breast. She is the vast and the divine world of God, wherein exist untold beauties and treasures. She is the magnificence of the Most High, wherein he has hidden, and in his own bosom, his only Son, and in him all the most excellent and most precious. Oh, oh, what great and hidden things Almighty God has wrought in this admirable creature, as she herself was constrained to declare despite her profound humility. Fecit mihi mania qui potens est. He that is mighty has done great things to me. The world knows them not, because it is incapable and unworthy of such knowledge. The saints have said wonderful things about this holy city of God, and, as they themselves declare, never were they more eloquent and more happy than when they spoke of her. Yet they exclaim that the heights of her merits, which she has raised to the throne of the divinity, cannot be perceived, that the breadth of her charity, wider than the earth, cannot be measured, that the greatness of her power, which she possesses over even God himself, is beyond understanding. And finally, that the depth of her humility and of all her virtues and graces is an abyss which cannot be sounded. O height incomprehensible, O breadth unspeakable, O greatness immeasurable, O abyss impenetrable. Day by day, from end to end of the earth, in the highest heavens, in the lowest abyss, all things preach, all things proclaim the wondrous Mary. The nine choirs of angels, human creatures of whatever sex, age, condition, religion, be they good or evil, and even the demons are compelled by the force of truth, willing or unwilling, to call her blessed. In heaven all angels acclaim her unceasingly, as St. Bonaventure says, Sancta, 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 Maria Dei Genitrix et Virgo. Holy, 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 Mary, Mother of God and Virgin. And they greet her, Millions and millions of times daily with the angelic salutation, Ave Maria, prostrating themselves before her and begging her as a favor to honor them with some of her commands. According to St. Augustine, St. Michael himself, though prince of the heavenly court, is the most zealous in honoring her and is ever on the alert for the privilege of going at her word to the aid of one of her servants. The whole world is filled with her glory and, in particular, Christian nations have chosen her as guardian and protectress of kingdoms, provinces, dioceses, and towns. Numerous are the cathedrals consecrated to God under her name. There is no church without an altar in her honor, no land or district without one of her miraculous images, where every manner of affliction is healed and every manner of favor obtained. Many are the confraternities and congregations in her honor, Many are the religious orders under her name and protection. Countless are the members of her sodalities and the religious men and women who proclaim her praises and extol her mercies. There is not a little child who does not praise her with a lisping Hail Mary. There is scarcely a sinner, however obdurate in his sin, who has not retained some spark of confidence in her. There is not even a devil in hell who, whilst fearing her, does not respect her. After all this, in truth, we must say, with the saints, De Maria numquam satis. 
we have not yet praised, exalted, honored, loved, and served Mary as we ought to do. She has deserved still more praise, respect, love, and service. Moreover, we must say with the Holy Ghost, Omnis gloria eus filiae regis ad intus. All of the glory of the king's daughter is within. As though all the exterior glory that heaven and earth vie with each other to render her, were as nothing compared with that which she received interiorly from the Creator. All glory unknown to tiny creatures who cannot penetrate the secret of secrets of the King. Finally, we must exclaim with the Apostle, Nec oculus vidit, nec auris audivit, nec in cor hominis ascendit. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, what are the beauties, grandeurs, and excellences of Mary, the miracle of miracles, in the order of grace, of nature, and of glory. St. John Damascene, Oratio, Laude Navitate. If you wish to understand the mother, says a saint, St. Eucharius, understand the son. She is a worthy mother of God. Here, taciat omnis lingua. Here, let every tongue be silent. My heart has dictated to me all that I have so joyously written to show that the Divine Mary has till now been unknown and that this is one of the reasons why Jesus Christ is not known as he should be. If then, as is certain, the knowledge and kingdom of Jesus Christ come into the world, it will only be as a necessary consequence of the knowledge and reign of the Blessed Virgin Mary. She who first brought him into the world will make him known to the world. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen.